Welcome to the RSP cast. This is Dwayne McFarlane. I'm not, but you know, I'm going to do the best that I can here. And obviously, Dwayne, it's always nice to have you during the summer. Um, and it's great to have you, you know, during the season now that we're a month in. I thought it would be fun for us to get together and just talk shop, you know, fantasy and reality and see how those two mix together. And, um, you know, it's just always, like I said, it's always a joy to be able to have you on the show. Thanks, man. It's always a joy to get to be on, to get to go look at all this data and, you know, take it all in. You're watching the games, but someone like you that I know, you know, you're spending far more time than I get to. Um, and you're also have a much better trained eye at doing it. And, and you're looking at these players and you're saying, hey, does does do the stats match up with, you know, what the player is actually doing on the field? Do the players seem to be fitting into their schemes and all those kind of things? So I'm always looking forward to this because it's kind of like it's for me, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. It's like Reese's, you know, it's a win win for everybody. You bring the two <laughs> things together and we always learn something. And I just enjoy talking about it. So I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. And you you summed it up perfectly because oftentimes I'm looking at this and I think to myself, I wonder what someone like Dwayne would is looking at right now with this. What am I missing? What little angle that's that's going to tie all this together that I just I'm not. I don't really know about, you know, because I'm not looking at the data that closely and the data I'm looking at isn't really complete enough, you know, or deep enough for me to really get that value out of it. So, you know, one of the players I, I thought would be fun, we're going to talk about a bunch of different players and situations today, but the one that just, I, I guess I have a little bit of an ax to grind a little bit is Clyde Edwards Hilaire because I was one of those guys that's like refused to put him as a top five fantasy pick. Like, I, you know, there was so much, there was so much public push to say that this is a top five guy, and you and I did our our back and forth on Hilaire during the summer, and I had him as I I moved him up because of you, and I did, and I'm glad I did. It was a, it was the right thing to do, but I couldn't get him any higher. And I moved than him down a little bit because of you, so I feel <laughs> like I did the right thing because I didn't have him quite as high. Yeah. So so it's funny because now we look at Edwards Hilaire and everyone's still like, it's coming. It's coming, folks. It's coming because look at what he's doing in terms of yards per game. Look at how he's being used in the receiving game. Look at how unbelievable the Chiefs offense is. And I'm looking at, look at where he's ranked and look at the few number of touchdowns. He has one touchdown and he's still getting attempts in the red zone from what I can tell. And I know it was the opener and I know it was the Houston, but it was the Houston Texans. And the Houston Texans basically got bent Maybe over we the, add that to our list. Yeah, Good grief! Yeah, they got bent over the knee of somebody's shed with a with a switch by the when it came to like the Minnesota Vikings running on them and a bunch of other teams. And you think about that, and Clyde Edwards-Helaire had all those attempts, and his running back coach literally came out and said, "Yeah, the reason we didn't score was because Clyde didn't listen to the keys that we gave the running backs in the running back room." And then when you watch him, it's not even, that's correctable. But to me, it's like, the guy is not a powerful runner. And every time I, and you know, this is, this is one of the ailments that I think folks like us have when we watch football and why, when people say, Oh, I'd love to watch football with you. And I say, no, the hell you don't, you don't want to watch football with me because it, one is when I hear stuff like that, it drives me crazy when people go like, look at the power of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as he runs through a 300 pounds, 
you know, index finger as he grabs onto the back of his bicep or, you know, and I'm exaggerating, but that's essentially, it's, it's essentially what's going on there is like they tout his power and it's like, no, he has good contact balance, but no, he's not powerful. You wrap him high. If you're a safety or a linebacker and you wrap him high, he ain't going anywhere. Now, if he gets a downhill, you know, runway and he goes 15 yards and he, or gets a five or ten yard head start and runs flat into a cornerback. Well, sure, but I have I don't know many quarterback cornerbacks. Maybe I can count them on one hand that actually can tackle worth a flip. You, you know, then that's fine. You, you know, but when people say he's powerful, I'm like, no, he's not, and he's not. I don't think that's going to help him in the red zone or in short yardage. He's not that kind of back. And I don't think he's going to be. And everyone's waiting for that day to come where he's going to start scoring touchdowns and it's going to, you know, get on track. And I'm thinking he might have two to three weeks for the rest of the year where he has a blip of like multiple touchdowns. And I guarantee you if he has multiple touchdown weeks, two of them aren't coming from inside the 10-yard line or inside the five-yard line. He's like, he had a break, he had a breakaway run at least on, or a pass play. Um, but I don't think you're going to see him in the red zone have that kind of thing. So I'm just curious from a data perspective and also from what you've been watching, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I'm really glad that, that we brought him up. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I do have on a few teams. He's obviously a guy that people are, you know, a lot of people drafted really early, so they want to hear more about him. Um, what I would say from a data perspective, you know, is they've, they're still being a little bit careful with him overall. So let's talk about his overall role first. Um, You know, if you look at it and again, we're four games in, but I mean, so we've got some trends now though. I mean, still a, still a small sample size, but I think we have a good idea of what the chiefs are willing to use him for and what they're not going to use him for. So for example, when this off, when this offense gets into the two minute offense, you know, and they're going to go no, no huddle. They're going to push tempo. They're going to do those things. He's not out there. It's Daryl Williams that's on the field. So Edwards Alaire has only played 31%, you know, of those snaps. Um, if you're just talking about your typical, you know, you know, running the offense, you know, you want to have somebody out there, you know, for, for the majority of the time, but you're not running no huddle, those sort of things, then he's still the guy. But even in those situations, Matt, when they get into third and fourth down and over seven yards, obvious pass downs, it's Daryl Williams that's coming in. In fact, the very few snaps that Edwards Blair has in those situations came in the game when Daryl Williams got hurt um, and had to leave. I want to say it was like in the third quarter or something of the second game of the season. And so he got a little bit of work. So really, um, I mean, and that's okay because he plays for the chiefs. So really he's in the same scenario as Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs to some extent and the way these guys are getting used, but he happens to play on a team that's ahead all the time. So it doesn't show up like for fantasy owners, if you will, really in the box score as much because those situations just don't come up, you know, as much for the chiefs, but he's really in a similar situation. So even though they may like him as a receiver, I heard you talking about that earlier and and I hear a lot of people mention it. Um, Yeah, they like him, but there's something going on where they don't really want him out there in certain scenarios where they know they need to pass. So, so there's that Um, as far as, you know, from inside the five yard line, getting down, you know, towards pay dirt, he does continue to be the guy that they go to. They've given him 100% of the work. That's six attempts, 12 snaps. He's played 100% of their snaps inside the five. So he's clearly in their plans, but they haven't been giving him the ball near as much 
as you know since what happened on week one right where he got stuffed multiple times even you notice last week i mean basically the tyreek hill play that was a run really even though Mahomes got a, a cheap touchdown, you know, pass, you know, out of it, which I was okay. I own some Mahomes, um, and then the same thing with Hartman. Those were both really runs. Now, not to say those are like big tough guys that power it in, but they're faster, right, than he is, and and they use misdirection to really create those touchdowns, you know, by confusing the opposing defense. So it's going to be interesting. I, I want to see do they start to trust him more, you know, with the rushes inside. Um, the five. Actually, I'm looking at it right now, Matt. Zero. <laughs> Zero rushes inside the five, even though he's been out there for all the snaps since week one when he had six. So all six of his attempts inside the five came on week one. And since then, even though he's been on the field, they've chosen to do other things once inside the five to try to score. Yeah, Andy Reid has basically turtled back into his shell when it came to um, using Hilaire in that in that sense. Or is it Eric Bieniemy? But, you know, it's... You know, you look at it from that standpoint. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I would try to use him as a receiver in that range of the field, absolutely. Um, but they probably were like, you need to show us that you understand your keys and, and you're making good decisions because he's a freelancer at times. And I think that freelancing in the red zone is a very dangerous thing because you need, in, as a runner, you need those quick hitting plays where you need to have that right blend of patience, creativity, and decisiveness. And it all has to be within the framework of running behind your, your, your offensive line and your scheme. Just like with quarterbacks, they have to have that kind of, um, that blend of patience and urgency in that area of the field because they got to get rid of the ball quickly. The openings are smaller. The opportunities have to be really in sync with their receivers. And if they take too much time, like a lot of young quarterbacks do, they wind up rolling out of the pocket and wind up at the boundary, throwing the ball out of bounds, throwing, forcing the ball and getting interceptions or running out of bounds and taking what's essentially a lost yardage or a sack as a result of that they didn't they, they weren't quick enough with that. And I think Edwards Hilaire as a runner is kind of doing the equivalent of that behind the line of scrimmage. So we'll see if that improves. I doubt it, like fantasy-wise. Like, I think he's where he is. Like, I think that's what he's going to be, which is somewhere in, the, in your top 10 to top 15, like 10th to 15th as a running back in PPR. And if you can sell him to somebody who thinks that he's – worth an RB a high-end RB1 and you can get an equivalent player and an added emerging option I doubt you will but if you can get that why not go for it but otherwise be happy with what you have him being and that's and that's good enough I mean like you should you can win with Clyde Edwards Hilaire yeah uh, you know yeah he's still an RB he's a low-end RB1 yeah you know, for me, and, and again, we've had a lot of people go down. <laughs> so, I mean, he's 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 continuing to move up even more because of all the injuries. One thing I wanted to ask you that, that you know, I've watched him um, probably not as closely as you, but I've pretty much watched all of his snaps. Um, the thing I've kind of noticed, and you brought this up actually, uh, you know, this this preseason to some extent, you know, maybe a little bit of a different way, but. The other thing for the amount of carries, you know, that he has, like when you start comparing him to the Dalvin Cooks and the Alvin Kamaras and the Nick Chubbs, like he doesn't appear to be near as explosive. Like, so even earlier you talked about, well, if he's going to score two or three touchdowns, he's probably going to have to have a long run. And what I'm starting to wonder is like, really, how capable of he is, how capable is he of truly just breaking these long gainers? I mean, he only has one play over 20 yards, you know, for the season, despite, you know, a pretty good amount of you know carries that he's receiving you know he's up there uh and carries 
But I mean, he's behind, you know, Leonard Fournette, Alvin Kamara, heck, I mean, Gus Edwards. Now, some of that I know is scheme, you know, with the Ravens. You've talked sure. a lot about that. Adrian Peterson's got three carries for 20 plus yards. I mean, Edwards, Joe Mixon's got three. Uh, Nick Chubb's got freaking six. <laughs> He's leading the league. I mean, Ronald Jones has managed to come up with two, James Conner with two. Um, and a lot of these guys have far less touches. So just what are your thoughts on Edwards Alaire kind of retouching on, you know, his, his kind of game-breaking ability, if you will? He lacks it. I mean, and that's, and that's always been the case. That's kind of the, been the puzzling thing to me is I, I kind on the one hand, I kind of love that everyone's had love for a guy who's like, um, who doesn't have game-breaking speed at the running back position because that's like a small blip on the radar for me that things could possibly trend um, to like intelligent um, anal- an analyzation of the running back position. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, the, it's countermanded by the fact that people, again, think that he's a powerful back. Um, so, it, you know, you look at him from the standpoint, it's like he can get you 15 to 20 yard gains. Like in that range, he's going to he's gonna give you between 10 and 19, I think, on a regular basis. And you'll feel good about that. And that's an explosive play. 12 yards, I think, is an explosive play for a running, for a running back. So fine. Um, but yeah, he's going to get run down by linebackers. He's going to get run down by some fast defensive ends. You know, he's definitely not. He will hold off a safety or a cornerback if he has a great angle on them to begin with. Or they have to cover a lot of distance. But that's about it. And and when I watched him at LSU, that was a thing. Like, when I first saw him, my impression was he's an Emmett Smith starter kit without with better receiving skills and not even Emmett Smith's speed. And Emmett Smith was never known to be fast, but he had a lot of big runs um, because he'd get into the Well, and that was also in the day when everybody piled everyone into the yes. box. And when you broke away, it was like by the time they even flipped their hips to chase you, you already had like a you know 15-yard lead. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now when you're playing Mahomes, nobody's doing that. Yeah, they're all playing nickel, <laughs> you know, exactly. Nickel <laughs> exactly. or dime or, or you know, quarters or something of that nature. You now, know, they're playing the change coverage. Yeah, we can just call in it that, the In that range you coverage. just mentioned, yeah. he is much better. You know, so yeah. Dalvin Cook leads the league with 10 carries of 10 to 19 yards. Josh Jacobs, nine. Devin Singletary, nine. Kareem Hunt, nine. Nick Chubb, eight. James Robinson, eight. A guy we'll talk about here in a minute. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, seven. Jonathan Taylor, seven. So, I mean, he's right there. He just doesn't. If, but if you start looking at all those guys, you know, that I just named, most of those are the same ones that are higher on, you yeah. know, also the ones popping the 20 yarders outside of James Robinson and Singletary. Yeah, his range for me was Emmett Smith starter kit and Mike Hart. If you remember Mike Hart out of oh, Michigan, yeah. I remember Mike the Hart. former yeah, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yes. Yeah. He, to me, I was like, the low end for Clyde Edwards Hilaire is Mike Hart. And, and, and I never mentioned him that much because I know people would overreact if I mentioned Mike Hart. When I hear Mike Hart, you know what I always think of? I think of Peyton Manning that time with uh, Donald Brown. Damn it, Donald. Remember that? Exactly. I, yes. I, from then on, he was damn it, Donald to me. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, listen, Mike Hart was a, was a very good college football player. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a better NFL prospect than Mike Hart. He's like a... He's like a a lotto winning ticket version of Mike Hart. You know, that's basically, you know, if we're going to go from that classist sort of system, he's new money Mike Hart maybe, you know, but uh but It uh, is weird to hear you actually having to try to calm people down when usually 
you're the one I I typically feel like you have to be the one trying to defend some of these guys that may not have game breaking speed. Yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of funny yeah. that the shoes on the other foot here. You probably feel kind of weird even doing it. Yes, because I'm sitting here going, I'm sitting here going, uh, I, I kind of want to drop a Peyton Barber comparison in here somewhere if I could, but <laughs> <laughs> but I can't I can't seem to wrap my mind around a good one that's somewhere accurate. But you know, going from one guy who's certainly wasn't a high end draft pick to to another, um, when we talked about, you know, Peyton Barber, is uh, James Robinson. So, you know, James Robinson's looked pretty darn good. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything notable about him that sets him apart or puts him in a tier with people that that we know are established backs. Yeah, I think, again, the data, the sample, like, is still pretty small. But, like, if you compare him to, you know, the top backs this year and a lot of the top backs that we know, you know, are good, so they don't surprise us, you know, where they are at this point this year, you know, he checks off actually some similar things to what we just talked about with Edwards Alaire. Um, you know, from a, from a utilization standpoint, you know, if you look at how the coaches, you know, are using him, he's also not on the field. And the third down and long, he's also not on the field in the two-minute offense. Now, what I'll say is this last week, they gave him 50% of the two-minute offense. So they could be gaining, yeah. you know, more and more confidence in this guy. They do seem to give him a little bit more every week. They just hadn't done it from a standpoint of getting him out there in obvious situations where you know he's going to have to pick up blitzes. You know he's going to have to know if he's the hot, all those sort of things. And so I'm really watching that because if that kind of, you know, goes up a little bit more, and then say maybe they give him half the third down, the third and fourth and seven plus yards, you know, so the obvious, obvious passing downs. If they start to give him, you know, half of that work, I mean, wow. I mean, he's not on a great offense, so they're not going to be down inside the five a ton. But that work is all his. So he's similar to Edwards Alaire in that way. They're they're gonna he's the guy they want to use when they're inside the five. He's always gonna get seventy-five to eighty percent of the attempts for the week. You know, attempts are gonna go up and down based on game script, you know, for the team overall. But he's all if it's a, if it's the right script, I mean, he's gonna be right there close to, you know, twenty touches. Essentially, he is Joe Mixon and you got him for free. <laughs> you know, if you're a fantasy player. Um, now, that's not to say that he's as good of a player as Joe Mixon. I love Joe Mixon, but the way he's getting used, which is a big part of fantasy, they're yeah. exactly the same. You you basically for free for probably pennies out of your out of your you know for a small percentage before week one, you got this guy off the waiver wire, and he's doing exactly what Joe Mixon you know is doing. So if he's he's still going to be a guy though, man, in situations where if if the Jaguars are even though a week, two weeks ago on, on Thursday night, he still managed to come through uh, despite, you know, um, the Dolphins getting out ahead of them, you know, and really, you know, kind of dominating that game for the most part, you know, against the Jaguars. And he came through. That was actually his biggest week. But if you look at the way he's being used, that's probably not sustainable because typically if you're the, if you're the player that's not on the field in the two-minute, the no huddle, the long down and distance, and you're just having cruddy game scripts, typically what happens is what happens to Joe Mixon. You know, all of a sudden he disappears for three games and people hate him and they're like, why did I draft him? I'm only getting eight fantasy points. And then, boom, he gets a good matchup against the Jaguars where they keep the game close or they lead and the dude blows up for 30, 40 points. That's really probably what you have with James Robinson. I think people are a little confused about him because they saw that he actually did well in that game where they were losing. But unless they keep 
and again, they could continue to expand his role, which I'm super excited about, you know, watching. I own him on over half of my fantasy team. So personally, I'm excited because he's filling in for people like Kenyon Drake that aren't doing anything, you know, for me. Um, so I'm really excited about where he's at. Um, the only other thing I would say is like from the production itself, and that's kind of where I started, um, you know, he's right there, you know, with all of these other backs as far as, you know, um, you know, his ability to make folks miss from a data perspective, as far as his yards after contact, he's right there. If you look at his number of, you know, plays um, in the 10 to 19 yard range, he's right there with all of the, with all the top backs. I mean, he's right there. Um, similar to Edwards Alaire, he hasn't, he's, he's only broken one long one. So I don't, I don't know a lot about his top end speed or, or, or what you're seeing on film with him, but that's, that's essentially how he stacks up right now from a data perspective. Yeah, I mean, I and I like it. I think we need to call him Dollar Store Joe Mixon, or you know, and basically, or Big Lots Joe Mixon, or something like what that. What I've told people in fantasy leagues, I'm like, look, people know the name value of Joe Mixon. He had a huge week. If I could in anywhere, any way, shape, or form, go trade just what you basically said earlier with Edwards Alaire. If I could go trade for James Robinson and like a mid, you know, say a a, a wide receiver two, you really like. You know, or maybe you get a low end wide receiver one from somebody that you know started off with a three Robbie receivers Anderson and they really need it. or a DJ Moore if you're still if you're still high. Yes, on like yes. those kind of things. That's the, that would be a sharp move, you know, in my opinion, because I really don't see how those two don't end up really close to each other at the end of the year from a points perspective. And in fact, I would say right now, James Robinson at least there's a glimmer of hope that what they want to use him in that way. There's no glimmer of hope for Mixon. Like when they get in those situations, he's off the field period. Yeah. yeah. Sit down, Joe. Yeah. And I think the, and I think the thing about Robinson that's promising, that's even in contrast to say Hilaire, which is that, you know, they gave, you know, when I listen to the chiefs talk about Hilaire's blocking, it's like party line faux positivity. And, and the real thing is he's a rookie. He was never really a good pass protector. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't great. We don't really trust him in that regard. Um, you know, he's a good route runner, but, you know, we're not going to expect him to do advanced stuff this year, maybe next year. James Robinson, when I watched his tape at, at, at Illinois State, my biggest thing with him was that he seemed to be, his best fit seemed to be gap scheme. He seemed to have issues with zones, zone running that, could be cleared up a little bit. He didn't have anything, but he had unbelievable burst. His 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 acceleration for his size was fantastic. Um, but you know the the limited the limited structure of the type of run scheme that he could fit in from what I saw, and then what I saw him as a pass protector was pretty good. But again, it was like technically there were some sound points, but conceptually I wondered how good he would be. Like there was. Still enough questions conceptually about picking up blitzes, assignments, you know, those types of things being in sync with his line that I just wasn't that sure um, with him. And now what I've seen, you know, on tape is, you know, thick, well-built runner, great contact balance. His burst is phenomenal. Um, you know, he run, does he run out of gas like after about, you know, 20 25 yards yeah i mean like you know he's gonna get caught but like he's not gonna get caught going through the hole i mean he's got he's got that kind of teleportation kind of short area teleport teleportation device going on that like he disappears in a cloud in a whiff of smoke you know and then reappears in a puff of smoke you know five yards downfield in the blink of an eye 
Um, and that's great. Um, if But the team got rid of Fournette, and the fact they got rid of Fournette and said it was because we saw James Robinson pass protect, and we were like, we're ready to roll with a free agent. That's telling. And so I think there's more hope that they didn't want to overload him right away, and they wanted to like continue to ease him in. Whereas I think with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you saw the Chiefs, they were force-feeding his behind like from the get-go, but when it came to certain situations, there was like a firm wall, like no admittance beyond this point. And I think that with Robinson, you're right. I think they're going to give him more, and he's a guy that you should probably be targeting as a as a, a buy now, you know, trending upward, or at least will remain steady in that facet. Whereas, yeah, he's definitely not a guy to go, because I've had a lot of people, hey, do I just go sell? Yeah, you can sell him too, but, but don't do it because you're afraid that like basically the air is going to run out of the balloon. I don't think no. that's happening. <laughs> no. I think he's going to continue to be a, in fantasy terms, he's going to continue to be a high-end running back two. He's going to have some weeks where he's going to be a running back three because the game script's just going to get nasty on him. Um, but he, he could also provide a little bit better floor than Mixon because it does seem like they're, they could be working him more into the passing game. And if all of a sudden he takes over all that passing game work, because Chris Thompson's not a guy that's, a you know, exactly, a, you know, got a clean bill of health. We know this is a guy that could easily get hurt. They may not even want to depend on Chris Thompson. So if they think this guy can handle it all, well then, man, he's going to be a weekly RB one, even though he's on, you know, a not great offense. I mean, it's an okay offense. Chris Thompson should have been a multi-time Pro Bowl player, if not for the injuries. Yeah. He, I mean, Mike Shanahan loved him. And if there's one thing that Mike Shanahan knew about beyond a shadow of a doubt was running backs. He Gruden could, loved him too. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And he well, still but, loves him, apparently. For sure. I mean, well, listen, I mean, if you... If he, when he hides that duct tape and WT forty underneath the uniform that's holding him together, he still probably cuts a, a, a very appealing figure, you know. Once he gets onto the field, you know, so it's like he's a he's an unbelievable talent. All right, so James Conner, that's another one that's an interesting one when we look at it. I just recently did a video on him and talked about how I think his demise was greatly exaggerated after week one. And it was basically because, and I think this is a good fantasy lesson for people to understand. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's, it's like a five minute um, video on YouTube on my RSP um, film room channel. But you know, if you if you don't have a chance to, I can just give you a quick summation, which is this. When people get on social media or write articles and say things like Benny Snell outplayed James Conner in week one, that's a false statement. It's a true statement to say Benny Snell outgained James Conner, outproduced James Conner, had better holes to run through than James Conner. The offensive line played better than James Conner. Those were all true statements. Is it possible that Benny Snell is better than James Conner? Absolutely. It's possible. But that game was not the game to go, the writing's on the wall, James Conner's gone. You know, like when all year long, as we've talked about, 
Mike Tomlin's like, I don't care what the beat reporters are saying. James Connors our feature back. You know, there's a reason for that, Dwayne. So I've watched him and he looks just fine to me. Like, and, and Benny Snell isn't doing anything right now. So, you know, it's not, and it's because he's not getting opportunities. They're still going to Connor. And yeah, Connor played the lowly Houston Texans. You know, but he also, and he had a tough game against the Broncos, but still broke a long one at the end of that game and still played well. Um, and he probably would have performed well against the Titans last week too. Um, so we'll see what he does, you know, in this coming week. But from what I've seen, the offensive line looks good. He reads his blocks well. He's a more creative back than Benny Snell, if you ask me. Benny Snell's one of those guys that, like, you give him the, he's like a James Robinson in the sense that, like, you give him a crease, he's going to hit it hard, he's going to be powerful, he'll give you his burst, and that's what he'll do. James Conner's the kind of back that you say, solve a problem for us, and like, give us a crease and he'll hit it and he'll do well. Or, we might not have some creases here, but we need you to get some yards and, and he'll do that. Um, he's not going to, he's not he's not a major breakaway threat, but as, you've, as you mentioned with him, he's still going to get you some. And because he understands angles, he has good quickness, and he has good functional power. Um, so, you know, I just, you know, those are my thoughts on him. And I think it's just an important distinction to draw because when we get into overreaction Mondays or overreaction Tuesdays in fantasy football, um, one of the things that you often hear and people are not careful with their words is, he outplayed so-and-so. And I'm like, dude, you this is a clear example that you're not watching what you're, you're not watching closely enough. Yeah. Yeah. And and Hey, look, I was guilty of being really worried (laughs) because, (laughs) well, and and, you know, part of it is because you, you know, the, well, there's part of it like we're humans and like, I, I want, I know I've got people listening, you know, to me, they're they're drafting their fantasy teams the good thing you can always know with me is i'm putting my money where my mouth is and i'm going to be there with you i'm going to be owning james connor a ton so if if you own him because i said hey let's draft this guy i think he's worth taking in the second round or you listen to me and matt talk about him um you know just know that when it doesn't go right i i do care and and i'm also living the pain we all do yeah yeah so so yeah i mean i think you know for me the thing with connor um, what's interesting is the biggest challenge really, and he hasn't just been able to really get going. He, he's getting, you know, enough of the work, but what I've noticed is that when they run the inside zone, they run the zone concepts, you know, it's 21 carries Matt for 58 yards and a touchdown. When you go to the pulling, the power, the trap, all the things that really are kind of staples of, of really what that offensive scheme is built around running which is why and we talked about this in the preseason you know you hear uh tomlin talk about i have a i'm not just doing this because i'm old-fashioned it's because i feel like it's like you know a a hand inside of a glove kind of a deal where the the line and the back have to be you know basically connected and they have to be able to anticipate what each other's going to do and they know what each situation looks like it's kind of like a quarterback reading a receiver's body language kind of thing so i thought it was really cool that he you know laid out that kind of detail for us but if you talk about in that scenario connor 16 carries for 144 yards and a touchdown so i mean that's like going from like 2.8 yards per attempt to like nine or something crazy like that so you know he kind of has these swings back and forth but, but if you get him going and the kind of thing you know that they typically do more of which maybe we'll continue to see more and more they're getting a little bit healthier you get to castro back 
um, you know, maybe that's something that, you know, continues to, to improve. We'll have to see. Um, the other thing, you know, that I would say, you know, with Connor is, you know, just from a utilization, you know, standpoint um, right now, I mean, he owns 45%, you know, of the rushing attempts, you know, on the season, but a big part of that, the reason that's lower is because of week one. Yeah. If you go to, if you, if you look at week two, you know, he had 70%. Now week three was interesting because he was at 50%. And they chose to get, you know, Anthony McFarlane involved a little bit. Benny Snell was out there a little bit. And that particular game, you know, McFarlane got six carries. Uh, Benny Snell got seven carries. But James Conner still had 18. You know, so, I mean, it's not like, you know, he's not he's not a guy that maybe they just don't want to give him 30 anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe they want to keep him more around. Let's keep this guy around 25 total touches a game between the recept, you know, the targets the receiving as well as you know the rushing opportunities so i don't know that it's something because if you look at it from an attempt standpoint the week before when he was at 70 percent um he had 16 attempts and then the next week he's at 50 percent and he has 18 so it could be more of a cap on look we just don't want to give the guy 30 carries kind yeah. of thing so you may not get some of those huge weeks from james connor because they may be trying to protect him and it, it that's where benny snell is coming in and then you just kind of have his change of pace mcfarland um but if you look at third down, you look at, you know, the two minute offense. Um, so th on third downs, you know, right now for Connor, the last two games, I mean, he's the guy that's out there on third and long 75 and 86 percent of the time. If you look at the two minute offense, which they haven't really had to be in, there's really only one game um, where they did. There's two games that they've done it. And one of those, you know, he was out for for basically a half, but the last game he was in for 60% of it. And then that's where Jalen Samuels gets on the field a little bit as well. So he had the other 40%, you know, in that game. So inside the five, he's the dude. I mean, he's pretty much getting all the work um, he's got right now on, you know, from a standpoint of on the season. And again, these get a little bit skewed because of the time he missed, but he's at 71% of the snaps. He's at 60% of the attempts, which he would be more around like an 85 and an 85 had he not missed time. So literally he's, Pretty much, you know, I wouldn't call him like a bell cow where he's do, taking 100% of everything, but he's getting anywhere from 70, he's getting about 75 to 70% of basically every situation that they have. So Tomlin is still holding true to his word. It just does seem like they're trying to probably just protect him a little bit from a health perspective. And I think that, and I'll take another angle to that, is that, you know, he did sprain his ankle, though everyone wanted to make it a conspiracy theory that he didn't. I did see him limp through a couple of plays, try to stay on the field, and they removed him in that Giants game. So they might be thinking, let's let's put a cap on, you know, how much we're going to use him right now and save him a little bit towards later part of the season when we're really going to want to lean on him. Um, so there's a possibility that it could go up as the season progresses. Though again, also they did draft some younger talent, so it would be they might want to just distribute the load. Uh, uh, to Dwayne's point, very much so. And then there's also the fact that yeah, David DeCastro. I mean, when it comes to the zone game as well as the the gap game, either way, David DeCastro is a monster um, of a player. <laughs> you know, he yeah. is he is a monster of a player, and you can ask all the Stanford backs that didn't make it in the NFL. Um, you know. You can add, well, maybe you don't might not want to ask them, they might not be happy. But there's a lot of guys who got signed in NFL teams thanks to David DeCastro, who didn't make it very far in the league in terms of like having long careers as starters or even considered. Um, so you, you know, this is this team, I think this unit is only on the way up when you're talking about 
you know, James Conner in the run game. So, you know, moving forward, let's get into a little bit more away from running backs because we've covered a good bit of them already. And let's talk about, let's talk about a player that I wish to God was on the Atlanta Falcons for all these years, um, but he didn't get a chance to be that player. And that's A.J. Green. A.J. Green's one of those guys that, you know, certainly was a fantastic talent. I thought he was a a slightly more talented player than Julio Jones, as great as Julio Jones has been. And Green has been a great player with a limited quarterback and a limited offense for many years. And then the injuries have kind of taken a, a bite out of his um, late year, you know, career span. Now he's back. Hasn't really had much of a training camp. Hasn't had any preseason as a rookie quarterback. And frankly, I've watched him and he does look a little slower. Is that because of the injuries? Is it because of his age? Is it because he's he and Joe Burrow aren't exactly on the same page? It could be all three, but I am leaning towards the fact that he he looks quick. He's quick off the line. He still looks sudden off the line, but that second gear like once he gets into like past 25 30 yards that second gear he's just not flying the way he used to and i think that's a that's something for real like i don't think that's a i just got to get in the shape or i have to um you know be on the same page with burrow i think that's a physical a show of physical decline yeah what's interesting is you know, they're still using him there. I mean, he's got – so if you kind of break down his targets by you know, buckets on the field, you know, 20-plus, 10 to 19, 0 to 9, and then, you know, at or behind the line – or actually just behind the line of scrimmage, um, you know, he's got 13 targets in the 0 to 9 range. So that's 41% of his targets. You got 28% of his targets, which is 9 in the 10 to 19 bucket. And then in the 20-plus bucket, you know, he's got 10 targets. So – 31%, um, you know, coming there, um, which is by far the most, you know, on the Bengals. I say by far, Higgins is starting to catch up, um, you know, with Green. Now, what I've noticed, Matt, like is what they they seem to be doing, kind of back to what we were just talking about with James Conner. Um, they're, not, they're not really making him play every down. They're basically giving him plays off. They're letting, letting him take breathers. When the team is, you know, going to be, passing you know he's he's still out there more often you know than he's not but at the same time even in those scenarios they seem to be okay having pass plays without aj green being on the field because typically a a player like him his his routes run you know per quarterback drop back is going to be in like the 85 to 95 percent range and right now in the season he's at 72 percent you know so he's been at 69 67 80 in week three and then that dropped back down to 73 in week four and he battled a little bit of an injury in week four he also battled a little bit of an injury in week two and he was at 67 percent. he missed a few plays after he landed kind of weird i don't know if he's got the you know the breath knocked out of him or what but i um, mean he he took a kind of a weird hit in week three you know as well so i've i've, I've been watching enough of the games that I, I do have to say each time he gets hit i'm like okay get up Please get up, AJ. Right. Get up. Um, and he seems to be just slow, you know, to get up. It's kind of like, oh, Amari Cooper does the same thing. I, something's going on with Amari right now. But it's just like, you know, it's like after every hit, they just kind of lay there for a second. And it's like they've got an injury we don't know about or something or, yeah. or just the accumulation of all these hits all these years. And they're just kind of like, 
crap, you know, and they just kind of have to pull themselves up. But but they do appear to be giving Green, you know, some rest. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, they're they're targeting him, you know, all over the field, you know. So he's a, he's averaging 19 percent of the targets for the season. Um, but he's actually on a target per route basis, 21%. So when he's on the field, he's even, you know, that just kind of shows you that if anytime that number's higher than their normal target share, that just shows you that, you know, they're actually, they're, the plans around the player, right, when they're on the field, you know, are still really strong. So, you know, he's at 21% per, uh, target share per route run. Um, the guy that does seem to be, you know, really coming on on that team, and I would like to hear more on this one, you know, too, is, is really T Higgins, who's gone from, if you look at his routes, he's jumped in the last two, in the last few weeks, he's gone from uh, 20% week one, then he jumped up to 64%, then 83%. And then he was at 73%, you know, this last week. So two weeks in a row up over the 70% mark, they're rotating a lot of guys through there. So just for context, Tyler Boyd looks the same way, 80 and 78%. They're getting Mike Thomas onto the field. Um, they're not getting John Ross on the field. He's not even active, active anymore, but Auden Tate's getting on the field, Alex Erickson. So those guys aren't getting a ton of snaps. You're seeing the Cowboys do the same thing where Cedric Wilson uh, and Noah Brown are getting on the field. It's like these offenses that are running a lot of plays. And I, that's actually the top two offenses in the league. As far as number of plays ran, it's almost like they, they're just having these guys rotate through. And so they're still in and up pretty much with the same number of snaps that other receivers that aren't running as many plays, but it's almost like they're just allowing them to rest. Well, so, but if, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. So just on Higgins, you know, what's interesting, you know, with him is really the target shares gone from 11 to now 23, 21, uh, you know, sort of zero, 11, 23 and 21. So, I mean, he's, you know, becoming a part of their offense, um, he is getting targeted at all levels of the field. So, you know, seven of his targets on the season, zero to nine, seven targets in the 10 to 19 bucket, and then 20 plus um, eight targets. Um, so he's not getting, he's not the first read quite as often as Green. Green is, you know, his targets, 91% of the time it's on the first read, where T. Higgins is 77%. So it does seem like they're still like the designs are for Green and, you know, Higgins still gets plenty, but sometimes he's the next read. He's not always the first one. Um, Tyler Boyd is also more often than not on his targets, the first read. So it's almost like it's green Boyd. And then Higgins is stepping into this role of the third option in the passing game. Yeah. So what's interesting about all of this is that you can kind of see where the future is heading. Um, when you look at it on the field, because the other thoughts that I had with green, and I want you to look at this while I talk about it is that, A.J. Green, to me, seems like he would be right now, the way his career is, would be ideal in the slot if Tyler Boyd wasn't there. Like, if you could put A.J. Green in the slot in this offense for, um, and I think they've used him occasionally in the slot, so I'm kind of curious what his numbers look like from that, um, that spot. But watching him, he's still quick off the line. He still runs the best routes in terms of the timing routes and the high-velocity throwing routes that you want to run in an offense. The problem is that Joe Burrow doesn't have that kind of arm. If you're like, you know, our resident, if you're like our resident social media clown Betts, who, you know, who likes to talk about Joe Burrow and his baby arm, you, you know, then, you know, there's some truth to the fact that, that Burrow doesn't have the, doesn't have the velocity you know, with, with the arm velocity that matches what A.J. Green can be. Give A.J. Green a steady diet of comebacks 
and deep outs and the dig routes and some of the things where it's like hit in a timely manner against tight coverage. I still think AJ Green can do that. It, can he run the nine route and the post route on a level that's compelling? I'm starting to have some questions about that. I'm not completely um, saying that it's gone from his game, but he was he hasn't looked as dynamic as I've seen in the past, and I'm beginning to lean towards maybe the decline there, as I mentioned. But in terms of the timing routes that you want from like a power armed quarterback, like if he were with Josh Allen right now and Allen was throwing comebacks and deep outs, he'd be just fine with a with a quarterback like that. I don't think that's Joe Burrow's game because when you watch T. Higgins, T. Higgins is running over routes and crossing routes and fade routes and a lot of the like throw the floater up there let them get it or anticipatory routes where you're going to get open against man or zone coverage because you're breaking long enough on a horizontal axis um, enough for that to happen Um, and defenses also end up reacting to how where the quarterback is looking in the first and second read so I think with Green what you're seeing is that he's not really a match for what Burrow does best even though he's still the first read. And um, and as a result of that, when you look at T. Higgins, his routes, like, he's played well, but his routes... What were the route types you named again? Over, over routes, crossing routes, fade routes, um, you, you know, seam routes, um, you know, um, what else are the, the other ones? You know, I think yeah, those looking. are probably the ones that I've seen the, that were successful for T. Higgins like or stop routes no no i'm talking for uh oh, for green. aj you had mentioned oh. the out route the comeback the hitch the post uh, you know the nine route you know you know those are the ones that i think that he hasn't been that they probably don't throw a lot in that offense or if they do they haven't been successful they don't i just click i just basically filtered by all the types of routes you just said and he has zero targets on any of those yep so there you go and that's and those were the and those were the routes that made him like an all pro player even with like even with you know um hang on that's wrong i had the wrong thing pulled up hang okay on, that's see. okay well while One you're second. looking those were still ahead, yeah. you know those are still the routes that i remember seeing him run successfully even with a guy like andy dalton who had like a a moderately yeah had a moderate NFL arm you know he's he's got eleven targets on on outs comebacks hitches uh, post routes um, I even had I had the deep out in there as well okay um, you know so he's got eleven of his eleven of his targets um, you know and on the season I mean right now um, he's got a total of how many targets thirty five targets so about a third coming on those types of throws how many completions? Um, and many he's operating from this he's operating from the slot 19 percent you know yeah. of his routes he, he basically needs uh, bruce arians yeah yeah he does <laughs> he needs to be the big slot he does and and he'd be a fantastic big slot about right now but they have tyler boyd who's an excellent slot receiver um so he's not going to get in that a, a great deal and i just again i don't think it's a big part of his i mean like what's yeah. his success rate on like some of these these high velocity routes i bet it's pretty low yeah if i hang on let me yeah. refilter by some of those again so if i go with the hitch route the comeback uh i've got the out route you want an end breaking do you want the end route or no no nah, that's okay you can just uh, go with uh i can do and you said post yeah. so if i just go with those that's this is what i had um selected earlier 
Um, well, I've had one other. No, this is at eleven. He's got seven receptions on those for forty-eight okay. yards. Okay. So I mean, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not, not terrible. No. Yeah. You know, but he's averaging less than seven yards per catch. But his, his average depth of target on those, you know, is also nine yards. Okay. So the, it's more of the underneath variety of those throws, not yeah. you know the intermediate to deep stuff. Right. So and those are the ones that I'm kind of imagining for yeah. you. Yeah. Still. That so I would are, have to put another filter. Yeah, exactly. So you're basically looking at, you know, Joe, Joe Burrow would need a booster seat for his arm. Basically. So if I put target depth of 10 to 19 on on this, he's only got two of those targets. Yeah. yeah. So on an out, comeback, hitch, post, 10 to 19 yards down the field, which I'm assuming is about the sweet spot you would you would yeah. want me to put that at. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's only got two targets. Yeah, yeah. So... That's AJ Green in a nutshell. It's sad because I'd like to I would have liked to have seen him on another team from the get-go, but it is what it is. Um, and he still had a heck of a career. And even and I'm sorry if I'm writing his epitaph a little early. I hope I am writing it a little too early. Um, but moving on, a guy whose career seems to be at least on a, a temporary upswing a little bit, and the and a and a headliner in this in last week's replacements article at football guys where i write about i kind of pitched joe bryan and said look you know we got all these issues with covid and injuries that are probably going to crop up you probably need someone you know i write the i write the little upside blurbs that you see in the draft dominator of like guys that you know in yahoo Love those. yeah nobody in yahoo ever heard of these guys that's that's kind of the joke that <laughs> that like i that i'm the guy who i'm that guy who writes the stuff that your yahoo league fan um um you know teammates have no idea who these guys are that's what i do so you know i thought that would be good to apply to the season and say here's some guys maybe late in the week you might want to pick up like on friday or saturday or early sunday based on the late season injury changes or covid or whatever madness that 2020 can throw at the nfl you know here are guys that might help you you know they're they're kind of crap shoots but they're educated crap shoots you know, Jordan Reed was one of them. I, and then last week I mentioned um, Robert Tanyan front and center is pick him up, you know, Brett um, Rippon, and then added, uh, and Olamide Zacchaeus. Both, both of those guys last week was like, pick the, you know, monitor one or preemptively pick him up. And then when it came to Tanyan, add him now. And, um, you know, so Tanyan had a three touchdown week against yeah. the Atlanta Falcons who basically, you know, have half their half their defense missing, <laughs> you know, um, in terms of injuries and have never been good against tight ends in the first place. Um, but what I was curious about asking Dwayne is that my theory behind all this was, well, if Alan Lazard had a good week and the way that the, that the Packers don't have, you know, healthy receivers right now and they're running out guys like Darius Shepard and Bagleton and, um, whoever else, I don't, and I probably pronounced Bagleton's name wrong. I don't even know who he is. Um, <laughs> Look, there's even guys that you don't know. I don't yeah, even Malik, this... Malik, Malik, Malik Taylor. Yeah, know, Malik Turner. I do know guy. him. I do know him. Yeah. But, but, you know, Bagleton, yeah, he'd be one of those stump the shop type of things for me. Um, but yeah, you look at that and you look at how, and they, they brought this up on um, Monday night, and it was something I brought up in my article, which was, Alan Lazard, it was the perfect player against the Saints where certain coverages trade off responsibilities. So like when they mm -hmm. play, when a defense plays run, 
It's either your linebacker, safety, or cornerback, one of those tr- people in the triangle of coverage who may be responsible to get past Lazard as a blocker. But when it's time for Alan Lazard to sneak out into coverage, it's going to be a different player who may be covering him. So when a team like the Packers run play action and they bait you with using Alan Lazard as a run blocker, it ties up two players. And then if they don't pass up, they don't pass along Lazard smoothly enough, then there's a break in coverage and Lazard ends up with a big play. And that's what happened repeatedly against the Saints. And when I knew yeah. that, and you look at the Falcons, and I'm like, <laughs> I've watched the Falcons for 12 years. I think it was Brian Greasy yeah. at one point that froze the, you know, the teleprompter. And yeah. he was talking about, hey, against play action, you, you know you're going to get one of these guys open, but rarely are all three wide open. <laughs> Literally all of them were like two, two to five yards away from their nearest defender. Yes, yes. And that's Atlanta for you right now because of how many injuries they have. And they were bad in the first place on the back end. So, you know, I thought, well, if Lazard's out, who's the closest player to Lazard who has rapport with, you know, rapport with Aaron Rodgers, who actually plays that kind of tweener role? And it's like the obvious answer is Robert Tanyan. So Tanyan had a, you know, three touchdown night, had a big night. And I'm just curious if there's anything from a data standpoint that would reflect that kind of theory. Yeah, man. I, I It was a great call um and i i was able i got tanyan in several lineups last week and boy was i happy i I was just wanting a touchdown and 50 yards yeah that's kind (laughs) of what i was looking for yeah (laughs) right and it just everything broke right for the guy but you know if it, it based on what you're saying yes he was really the next you know guy in line when lazard went down i mean valdez scantling you know was was targeted you know more but Tanyan is the guy that's getting the benefit of the play action looks. So 57% of his targets this season have come on play action. And so when you've got a quarterback like Rogers, that's just on fire and he's putting the ball. He's just, I mean, people overuse the word dropping dimes. Aaron Rodgers is dropping dimes right now. Like that's what true dimes are. So, Actually, just never call Daniel Jones Danny Dimes again. Now that you understand the context, it's of a what very a ironic is. name. I like the irony of the name. <laughs> yeah, if, if, but most people don't understand that it's ironic. They yeah. think it's real, but it's like you, you know, Bleacher Report. I can't every, you know, you're sitting there on Sunday and so and so out here dropping dimes. I'm like, these are not dimes. What Aaron Rodgers is doing right now is, you know, he's on another plane. He's back to where he used to be. And what's happened, in my opinion, watching them, I've spent a ton of time watching them because. You know, I love this scheme, which is an offshoot, you know, of Kyle Shanahan. I kind of have an affinity for it, but it's uh, Rodgers and LaFleur, they've gotten to their place. Yeah. They're now in lockstep. They have integrated the two things they like to do. They both like to do. So where LaFleur has been flexible is letting Rodgers still see plenty of work from shotgun. And they figured out how to make their run game still work in that kind of a situation while at the same time making that play action passing, you know, really effective. And then Rogers has traded off enough to be able to go under center and be willing to do the bootleg stuff and still set up play action, you know, from the under center run game. And so I think they're just, they're on another plane now. And, and you can see when you have a scheme like this and they're doing all this right now, now they're playing some bad defenses, but they're doing it all without Devonte Adams even being there. And so, yeah, from from a Tanyan perspective, you know, he's getting all the targets, you know, from play action. 
Um, so it, it was basically due to happen for him anyway. If you had looked at him over the previous three weeks, which he was also startable, by the way, he scored, you know, five touchdowns in the last three weeks. So, yeah. I mean, the guy is squarely in, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, good graces. He's a guy that he's looking for, um, you know, especially when they get down, you know, inside, you know, the five yard line, inside the 10 yard line. Um, you know, he's a guy. So he's got 24 percent of their targets in the end zone, which is second, you know, on the team right now. Uh, actually, it's first on the team you know, for the season. Um, then this last week, you know, he had 67 percent of those. So he had which was two of them. You know, he had he had two targets in the end zone. Um, 83 percent of his work this last week came on or sorry, 50 percent came on play action. 83 percent of the time he was the first look low. That's what changed. Um, you know, before Tanya had really been like the tertiary guy. Um, but with what you just talked about, Lazard being out, you've already got Devonte Adams. What happened is he basically went up the pecking order and in the read progression. Yeah. So it became Valdez Scantling and Tanya where it had been Devonte Adams, Lazard, and then Tanya. Um, and then you got Aaron Jones and Tanya essentially being equals, you know, yeah. they're, they're both getting involved just as much. And then last week you saw Jamal Williams get involved in the passing game too. So they really just shuffled the deck. And what's amazing is how they can still be, you know, so efficient because of how well, you know, Aaron Rodgers is playing. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. And, you know, all I think about is Robert Tanya. I remember seeing him at, at Indiana state and really be impressed with his ability to go up and win the ball and, and the Detroit lions added him as a free agent i thought oh this is a guy that could be interesting from a growth perspective you know what he could do and you look at the detroit lions and they could kind of use robert tanya not that not that hawkinson is bad hawkinson is going to be is still a very promising player but they could use be a more better weapons. be a better 12 set than he and jesse james yeah and jesse james is just jesse james is a good nfl player he's just not a great fantasy upside guy he'll yeah he's a he'll, really good He's a good run blocker. That's what they want Jesse and, James for. Yeah, and Tanyan, Tanyan's blocking still is a work in progress. All right, so let's go to quarterback. Justin Herbert, you know, watching him, Dwayne, it, I've been so impressed with his pocket presence, his ability to the, – the thing that really struck me is, you know, watching him climb pressure. Um, and not only that, then hearing from the broadcast crew last week that they asked him, what's the most eye-opening thing for you in the NFL, Justin Herbert? And he's like, how you have to step up into pressure in the NFL. Like, you have to do that to succeed. So the fact that he's gotten the memo and, like, that's surprised him, but he's doing it, you know? It's like, like, I wouldn't be surprised if someone asked Baker Mayfield that and Baker Mayfield said, yeah, and he's still not doing it because he's three years in the league and he's still... Yeah, you know, he still won't do it, you know, and there's reasons why. He's also he's also short and he probably has some issues with being afraid that he can't see over the line or it's between the um the linemen to do that. Though, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't have any problem with that. Um neither does Drew Brees. But you know, he seems to have a phobia with it. Herbert doing that and then just the deep game. His deep game has been fantastic so far, and it's been even more impressive that Three, his three touchdowns last weekend. Donald Parham Jr., you remember him? Maybe if you look oh, at yeah. the, the bowels of the RSP's, you, you know, draft cheat sheet. XFL. XFL. This summer. Tyron Johnson, Oklahoma State, I believe, who they, mis, they mislabeled him a rookie unless it's because he's never started 
never been on an active roster because he was also signed, I believe, by the Chicago Bears at one point. And A.J. Guyton, who's a fellow alum of where you went to school at UNT um, and, you know, was a, a star guy who transferred from Notre Dame who had a, you know, half a sweet tea over in, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys camp before they cut his behind and he's been sitting on the Chargers roster. All three of those guys accounted for three touchdowns and well over 100 yards receiving last weekend. And if that doesn't put a team on notice that he's willing to go to anybody and everybody and attack the field, I don't know what is. And that bodes really well for Keenan Allen because if teams are like, we can't just take away Allen, because this guy, this guy will, this guy will drop it on anybody um, and, and make them viable. Because Mike Williams was out, I, I'm very enthusiastic about what I saw from Herbert. Even if like Ty, Tyrod Taylor gets his job back somehow for a week or two, um, I think Justin Herbert will be right back in there um, pretty soon. And I'm encouraged because pocket presence is so important, and he's done that so well and the fact that yeah he's aggressive like he's being aggressive and appropriately so with the exception of the one or two plays a game that rookies often make that cost them at the end of the game but yardage wise he's delivering the goods yeah it's funny that that's the point that you chose to go to because when we had talked about Crescio hey let's talk about Herbert he was a guy I hadn't even thought about obviously I've thought about him but I wouldn't prepared it all to talk about and so I immediately where my mind went, you know, from looking at, you know, his receivers this past week <laughs> was how much he spreads the ball around. So yeah. if you look at, you know, and let me just isolate it down to week four. Um, actually, I'm going to look at the last two weeks. But for example, like with Keenan Allen, if you go to week three, 82% of his targets came on the first read. Wow. Last week, only 36% of his targets came on the first read. What is that telling us? What you just said, he's willing to go anywhere. He's not just locking on, you know, to Keenan Allen and saying, this is the guy I have to, I have to throw to, um, you know, it was really the same, you know, across the board, you know, he, he, nobody, um, you know, this past week, um, nobody was the person that was like, Hey, we're just going to funnel it through you. The week before, Hunter Henry had been a first read on 86% of his targets. Last week, it was 67%. So, yeah, he really does appear to be uh, in a zone where he's seeing the whole field. He's willing, like you said, to throw it to anybody. Um, he's he's he, he trusts the guys that are out there, um, and it doesn't matter if they're getting to play a lot of snaps. All the guys you named, like, you know, if you talk about Tyron Johnson, um, he only ran five routes last week, <laughs> but he came through. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you look at, if you look at Donald Parham, uh, last week, I want to say, yeah, he ran two routes. Wow. Yeah. That's more so, than I, I mean, thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, to your point, like he, he seems to be seeing things and in, in a lot of times with young guys, you will see them just lock on, but he's not doing that. So I think that's very encouraging. You know, here's the other thing though, for, you know, folks that may be thinking about, you know, Keenan Allen. Um, if you look at Keenan Allen on the season now, um, Matt, he's got six targets now of 20 plus yards or more. So he's, he's getting everywhere. So behind the line of scrimmage, nine targets, zero to nine yards, 19 targets, 10 to 19 yards, 11 targets, but also six targets 
of 20 plus yards or more. That's not normally Keenan Allen doesn't normally get those looks. And so now he's actually getting these looks where he could score some longer touchdowns uh, without it having to be all run after the catch, right? It could be literally beating a guy downfield, catching a a bucket type pass and walking it into the end zone. Um, So it isn't just Mike Williams that you're using to stretch the field. They're actually letting Keenan Allen do it, you know, some. Um, The other thing that they're doing for him, um, you know, for Herbert, you know, that is they're using a lot of play action, man. I mean, it's, it's, and it's really helping him. Like, so if you look at, you know, Keenan Allen's targets week by week, um, you know, from a play action standpoint, number one, 42% of his targets have came against play action for the season. Um, but if you look at week two with Herbert, 50%, week three, 29%, last week, 45%. So those are things that Keenan Allen also didn't get before. And if he did, they may have just been a courtesy, hey, we're in shotgun. We're just going to make it kind of look like it. And I'm just trying to get the ball out really quick, you know, because that's just where Philip Rivers' game was at. And so now I think you're just seeing where Allen may have, you know, given up getting to be with a quarterback that, you know, knew him like the back of his hand and was delivering the ball short and underneath and quick, you know, they're just offsetting that in different ways and they're finding, and they're using Keenan Allen in innovative ways. And I think, you know, if when you listen to Keenan Allen talk right now and you read some of the stuff that he posts, like, I think he's like, he's jazzed. He's, he's, he feels like he now is getting a chance. I think, you know, he kind of had his, his issues with Mike Evans this summer where they kind of, you know, threw some barbs back and back and forth. Um, and I think Allen's loving this because I think he's getting to show that, look, I'm more than just a guy that's in the slot that just has to work underneath. I can do a lot of things, um, especially when you give me, you know, a quarterback that's got the, you know, the capability to get it to me coming off play action and things like that. So I, I think I really like what they're doing, you know, as yeah. an offense, period. I, I think it's great. If I listen, I love Mike Evans's game and Mike Evans is a great player in what he does well. And if you're going to compare them to what, the one role that Mike Evans is in, Mike Evans is up here. Keenan Allen is down here. Now, if you're going to talk about a wide receiver and all the things that a wide receiver can do, I'd take Keenan Allen over Mike uh, Evans every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, you know, when it comes to just like overall skills. Um, and But the thing is, is that I, I'm glad that you were reading stuff about Allen because I'm sitting here thinking before you said that, I was literally chomping at the bit to say, I bet Keenan Allen this year has been kind of like, oh, I'm losing Phillip Rivers. Oh, I'm going to have to play with a rookie quarterback. I'm going to have to play with Tyrod. Oh. And then like he gets the rookie and he's like, this ain't so bad. This might be better than yeah. playing with Phillip Rivers. You know, <laughs> like it's like I miss Phillip, but you know, there's things we're doing I couldn't do without with Philip, you know? And I think that's kind of where he's at. And it's it's great to see. Um and and I you know, it's one of those where as a fantasy analyst, you know, when you're put on that hat, I kind of like it's one of those where you want to kick yourself but you can't. Cause like I want to kick myself and say I should have I should have like picked Keenan Allen. I should have trusted his talent. And I'm sitting there going and then I th- replayed over in my head, like, would you have really done this? Like, would you, could you really encourage people to say that the, the rookie quarterback would play this well and that he'd get on the field and, and that it would be this soon? And the answer is no. So it's it's kind of like, I can't. But I still, every time I watch it. Yeah, I, your process was right. Yeah. But, you know, the the I think the outcome, obviously, yeah, yeah. it was on the flip side of that. But yeah. I, I agree with you. It was just hard to, to buy in. Yeah. Now, I will say, if you go back and listen you know, to our pod, we said that Justin Herbert, 
Herbert actually would probably be was going to be the guy Keenan Allen would rather have on the field, not Tyron Taylor. True. I just didn't think it happened so fast. Taylor was going to be a fit for Mike Williams, which he was. If you look at week one, yes, you were right, Mike Williams. Yeah. Um, Now he's out, and 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 Williams is still getting work with Herbert, you know. But Williams missed this last week, and he got hurt in the game before, so he didn't get to play the whole game. He actually got hurt in week two, and so he was kind of limited those next two games. So they're not even playing it full capacity yet you know, of, of what this offense could be. So, yeah, I, I'm super excited about it. I'm happy for Keenan Allen um, and, and Justin Herbert, too. Yeah, it's awesome. And we're going to finish this show up with three different – with three more quarterbacks that we're going to look at. You know, we probably got another 15, 20 minutes of this. So, you know, if you're – you've probably already looked at the time amount in this and gone, oh, it's going to be a little bit of a longer show. But whatever, it's Dwayne and I. We like talking. And this is probably one of our shorter shows. So, you, you know, with that in mind, we went from, like, pretty much, like – a kind of a Cinderella story, at least for this year, to what I've been terming the American horror story, which is <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Which is Daniel Jones. You know, I said I was on Twitter this week and I made people spit out their coffee because I basically said that you know those people in the horror movies in the opening scene who get killed and you're like, dude, like don't go the you know, you see the meat hooks in the in the in the living room with like flies and these like weird carcasses and skull skeletons that you're not quite sure what those <laughs> things go are. in there and, and you're and the front door is still open and you're in the foyer and you're gonna go into the kitchen like you're gonna keep walking into the kitchen like you like no like i said and i basically said daniel jones has the pocket awareness of a horror movie victim in the opening scene of a slasher flick and it's like because, and you see it. It's like he's got what I call pocket deafness. Like he does not feel pressure in the pocket. When it arrives, it's got to bump into him. His lineman's got to bump into him. He fumbles. He gets strip sacked on a regular basis. He gets hit while throwing. Not to mention that, in fact, he stares down his first read um, like he's a basically a creepy stalker of a Hollywood starlet. You know, I mean, it's like. He, and I think it contributes to the number of passes that he had deflected at Duke. Like, I remember people during pre-draft process were like, worried about Kyler Murray. He's so sure he's going to get a lot of passes deflected. So I started charting deflections just to see what, or I, not chart, I already chart them. I started looking at the data that I had. <laughs> that's kind of the thing with me, Dwayne, which is I know this is why you look at me and shake your head because you're like, Matt, you have like all, you have like, over 10 years of data and it's like occasionally you'll pull it up and go i've been looking at this you know i look at this data it's yeah, like just I, for the record so the audience knows yeah. i've been trying to get into the archives of matt's data for like two years yeah <laughs> <laughs> matt like give me the seven let me like work with it and come back to you with it <laughs> yeah yeah it's been hilarious because like occasionally somebody will go well do you have the data on this and i'm like well yeah actually i do you know i just gotta add it up you know here it is you know because i track everything meticulously so um you know, I found found out that Daniel Jones far and away threw more had more deflected passes than any other prospect who was like in that class. So I haven't I was haven't been able to see how many deflected passes he's had this year or last year, but I'd be I'd bet it's probably fairly high. Um and anyway, and a lot of it's because he stares down his first read and it's slow to come to a second or even slow to come off his second read, if even can get past a second read, because the monsters already basically you know, basically tapping him on his shoulder, you know? And it's like, he's, listen, I mean, I just feel bad for um, 
this is one of those times where I already said I, I I've never been that strong of a of a take person to say things like this, but when he got drafted, I called him a fraud. And I feel kind of bad for calling somebody who gets into the NFL as a start a quarterback and who has some decent production early on a fraud. Because that's just mean, okay? Like, I I don't know how, but I don't know how else to put it in terms of from a perspective of, like, long-term. This guy, I don't think, has the goods. I think the things that get in his way are not going to be correctable based on how the NFL develops quarterbacks or doesn't develop them. And so he's at a, I think the things that are his flaws are too late to correct based on the way the league is. And it's not going to get better because the league doesn't know how to address it and it's going to be ugly. I mean like you know, he's all he's not in the living room of the dilapidated butcher house. Like he's literally staring at the college co-heads who are getting dismembered by the guy in the in with the chainsaw and the apron and the chainsaw and the apron guys turned around and looked at him and clicked the remote that's about to lock the door shut, you know. And, but Jones is still like at that moment before that happens where he could literally like at least his fantasy players who GMs could like turn around and run out the front door right now. They're going to have to cut their losses. I mean, they might have to leave their car there. They might have to like leave their friends there. They, they might have to be quote unquote, a survivor and get lots of therapy um, from what happens to them from this awesome grizzly thing, but it's over. Like save yourself. That's what I'm going to say is that there is no turning back from Daniel Jones at this point. This is not a guy. It's going to get uglier. I just believe that. Um, I don't think he's coming out of this. He's going to have the occasional good game somewhere. Um, you, you know, But it won't be as permanent starter franchise player for a team. Um, and I'm more and more convinced of this every week. <laughs> Well, he does get the Cowboys this week, so there could be life this week. Just because if you if you remember the you know our reference earlier to Atlanta, where everyone's wide open, that's True. also the way it looks when you play the Cowboys. True. So, <laughs> I'm guessing Slayton comes up with a couple of touchdowns this week, just because Dallas like doesn't even know that he's on the field and doesn't cover him. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> fair but, enough. But yes, um, if you look at Jones overall, you know, if it, and so what you like to call pinpoint accuracy, Matt, you know, he just he doesn't have that. He's 25th in the league for quarterbacks that have at least 75 attempts. And so he's 20, 25th out of 32. Um, you know, if you look at his overall, you know, accuracy, so throwing where the pass is at least within the frame, so catchable, and the receiver basically doesn't have to bend over for it or jump for it. It's within, you know, arm's distance. If you look at Daniel Jones, he's 21 out of 32. By the way, Carson Wentz is 32nd. You've been talking about his accuracy issues for a long time, and they're really rearing their head. Um, and then you've got, you know, the the catchable but inaccurate. So basically, the receiver had to make the adjustment to make the pass work. And if you look at Daniel Jones, uh, you know, from that perspective, he's actually, he's thrown the sixth most, or sorry, eighth most passes of that nature. So really, like across the board, he's, he's, he's grading out in the bottom third of all these things from an accuracy, you know, standpoint. So yeah, he just, you know, he really does seem to be struggling. We knew the schedule was going to be really tough, you know, out of the gate and it has been, 
I think he even caught the Steelers snoozing a couple of times early in week one. And so people had some hope for him. Right. And then like reality set in. And like you said, he just went ahead and, you know, walked in where all the meat cleavers were hanging. And, <laughs> you know, it's just a bad, it's a bad, you know, situation. I, I mean, I'm like you, it's like, you don't want to be, you know, mean about it. I, I hope that Daniel Jones right. can figure it out. I, I know that, the New York media is pretty sensitive about it. Anytime you say anything, yeah, but this, 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 and I'm kind of like, yeah, but this, 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 you know, it's like, you can always come back with like another eight points. Um, But I I mean, I, I hope he can get it together, but I'm with you. Um, It doesn't look, it doesn't look good. You know, I mean, uh, other guys that are playing as poorly as he is, they're getting benched already. So, I mean, Dwayne Haskins is going to the bench, you know, I mean, Daniel Jones is playing maybe worse actually than Dwayne Haskins yeah. and he's he's still starting. Yeah, get out now when he has a good game against the Cowboys. Get out now. That's all I'm saying to you is, you know, yep. the run, you know, if let people got, think it was just a bad schedule and here he comes. Yes, run <laughs> if you have to run out there and just jump on the nearest truck that's just driving by, like do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you risk, you know, I don't care if you risk you entered into even a possibly a worse situation like kind of like Bruce Willis and Ving Rhames in Pulp in Pulp Fiction, you might get out of that easier than like you know than what you, than what you were in. You know, if you stay there, uh, that's all I'll say. Then uh, rename your team Zed's Dead. Yes, exactly. There you go. <laughs> all right, to go from one guy who like basically, I'm sure New York just they seem to prefer the robo quarterback types to a guy who is nothing like the robo quarterbacks, but is similar to a guy that we kind of lightly touched upon, and that's Joe Burrow. And that's Teddy Bridgewater. And I just wrote an article on him at Football Guys in the Gut Check and did a video on YouTube that you can you can get at the RSP channel um, where it's a five-minute look at just why he fits so well in that Joe Brady scheme. I mean, when I saw that Joe Brady was going over to to Carolina, I thought, wow, that makes perfect sense because when I watched, <laughs> when I watched Joe Burrow, I thought, well, Maybe the OG Burrow is actually Teddy Bridgewater when you look at it because both are hyper-accurate in the short and intermediate ranges of the field. Um, Both are guys who are creative in the pocket where they can buy time and find open passing lanes and place the ball really creatively, as well as the fact that they're underrated in terms of once they break the pocket and scramble, even though they try to throw first and run second. Um, They're both really tough, even though they're a bit on the undersized level when you think about things like that. Neither, you know, both of them will be accused of having baby arms, you know, but they can get the job done um, and they can throw, they can throw reasonably well in the vertical game. And they, and so when you look at this, I'm watching, I've been watching Robbie Anderson like the first couple of weeks and I'm thinking they're putting him in the slot and they're letting him like run these quick hitting crossing routes and, and, and um, slants and just like, he and Bridgewater are like that, like from their days in New York. And maybe it seems like they, they kind of had a, maybe they built a little bit of a rapport and it's like Anderson's getting the ball with a full head of steam, like on a regular basis, you know, heading downfield. And to me that bodes well for DJ Moore eventually, who's hasn't been horrible. He just hasn't been the top 12 guy that people have thought him thought he would be. But there's there's some hope there, and Bridgewater in terms of completion percentage, in terms of yardage, in terms of completions um, and yards per attempt, he's in the top ten in all of those categories right now. Um, and when you look at the schedule that they they have, I mean, Washington, 
um, Atlanta twice, Detroit, Minnesota, um, even Green Bay, Denver, and um, I'm, I'm missing a couple of teams here are like teams that are like create pass-heavy game scripts because of their offenses. And all those teams that I mentioned that have bad defenses, like give up a lot in terms of they're giving up a lot of touchdowns or a lot of passing yardage or a lot of points, are teams that have pretty good offenses that can promote good game scripts. And Bridgewater's doing this despite the fact that Christian McCaffrey's gone, you know, and he might not be back for at least another one to three weeks, at least, and because he's got another week on IR. And their offensive line is horrible. And he's still like, you know, his sack percentage is middle of middle of the road right now. But, you know, he's still only 12th in terms of number of sacks that he's taken. Um, so I, I watch him and I think about, you know, how this offense fits so well with him and how creative he can be within the structure. And one, I think um, I'm laughing at the New York Jets. Um Two, I'm laughing when they do. Uh, you know, I'm glad he got out of New Orleans because Drew Brees is going to have to get pulled kicking and screaming out of like, you know, out of his spot. I mean, like, if if Drew Brees is anything the way I think he is, he'll try and play till he's 50. It won't happen, but he'll try. Um, and and then you have, you know, and then you have Carolina here, and I just feel like this offense is only going to get better. It's not like he's had a full preseason. And like a, a real training camp compared to what we had, you know, before COVID. So to me, I think the production in the red zone is something that he hasn't had. Like if he had eight touchdowns with the production that he has right now in terms of yardage, he'd be a top 10, maybe a top five fantasy quarterback right now. Um, and when you look at the schedule, the schedule looks good. The the things that he does well are hard for there to be an improvement upon if you're not doing well, unless like your quarterback in that offense was hurt and now he's back or you you're missing Mike Thomas, you know, a player of that equivalency. So the fact that he's got all these players, the fact that he hasn't had um, a chance to develop rapport in the red zone yet, and he's doing it as the games go on. I think there's promise for him to actually be, a startable fantasy quarterback this year. And you might, if you're struggling right now, you might want to get him off your waiver wire. You might, And if you have two good quarterbacks, you might want to trade your premium guy. See if you can get yourself, a, you know, two to three good players. Um, and if you don't have, you know, and if you're not into making trades for anybody, I mean, you just add them and see if he gives you some extra value that you can then turn around and make a trade later. Um, but I, I think that this is someone worth kind of venturing into, Dwayne, and just wanted to know your thoughts about what you're seeing from him from the, from the data. Yeah, man, he's, I mean, it's the offense that I'm the most excited about. You know, um, I like what they're doing. Um, you know, you already mentioned a lot of the players, but seeing that, you know, basically Robbie Anderson getting a new lease, you know, on life, being out from under Adam Gase and his time there, you know, with the Jets, because really Anderson had flashed a little bit before Gase got there and then Gase got there and it's like the whole thing just kind of, you know, went silent. Um, but, but Anderson, what's interesting, you know, with these guys, you know, is, is really that DJ Moore, who I expected to be more in that Mike Thomas, you know, kind of role playing the, you know, the underneath stuff. He's really been the guy working deeper down the field. He's got an average depth of target of 12.8. And then if you look at, you know, Robbie Anderson, 
um, you know, his average depth of target is only a 9.6. Now we're only four games in, but I just find that, you know, kind of interesting. I would have thought that yeah. those two things would have been flipped. Me too. Right. Without you know, a going doubt. into the season. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, some things still may change. Some of it could go back. I didn't even really, you know, you, you brought up a really good point. I, I knew they had played together, but I hadn't, that thought hadn't reentered my mind again, you know, and maybe there is something going on, you know, with some of that, but what I like, honestly, is that I like both of those receivers. <laughs> right. And I think he's got, two, so the way I look at it is he's got two really good receivers and they're doing everything. So if you look at Robbie, um, he's got three targets behind the line of scrimmage, 17 in the zero to nine range, eight in the 10 to 19, and then six in the 20 plus. You know, you would expect that he would have more in that 20 plus, but they're finding different ways to get him involved in the game and it's paying off. And then if you look at DJ Moore, he's not getting any of the stuff at the line of scrimmage. He's got 12 targets in the zero to nine range, 15 in the 10 to nine versus eight for Robbie. And then he's got five 20 pluses. So really, as far as like the vertical stretch plays, they're both getting targeted equally, but Anderson's getting targeted in that zero to nine layer of the field. And then DJ Moore's working in behind that in that 10 to 19 yard range. And they both, they're getting both getting targeted pretty much equally. DJ Moore is still the guy that's on the field the most. He still runs the most routes. He's also the guy that gets more first target reads, even than Robbie Anderson 80. It's close though. 84% of his targets have been on the first read 82%, you know, for Robbie Anderson, but you also have the play action um, game. So DJ Moore, they are trying to use play action to get him going. So he's got 25% of his targets coming on play action. Uh, Robbie Anderson's at 21%. Well, those were things that you just didn't get out of this offense, you know, yeah. last year. So I, I'm with you. I think there's going to be, uh, there's room to grow. Uh, you've got two really good players. Curtis Samuel is really, you know, he's out there. He's, he's really working in, <laughs> in that, in that 10 to 19, zero to nine behind yeah. the line of scrimmage. It's not that I hate, it's no. nothing against Curtis Samuel. No. I think these other two guys are just so good. It's just like, there's not a ton leftover because then you still got Ian Thomas, you still got the running backs. So it's like really all those other guys are kind of blending together to be like, okay, we're going to spread the rest out across these guys. And really they go to their backs more than they do the tight end or the third wide receiver. Um, but I'm just excited because like you said, I think it's something where they're going to continue to grow. Um, you know, with Bridgewater, I did pull up, you know, his accuracy while you were, you were kind of, you know, teeing things up and walking through some of it. And I actually isolated it down to the one to nine yards and 10 to 19 yard variety of throws. And, you know, Joe Burrow is the number two uh, from a pinpoint accuracy standpoint. He's number two in the league in those two buckets. Um, Fitzpatrick is one right now. You know, again, we're talking about a small sample size here. Sure. Um, but then you got Tannehill third. Um, you got Brady in the top five. You know, you got Jared Goff in that range. And it's kind of interesting because Teddy Bridgewater is down at 15 out of out of 23 players, you know, that are ranked at an 11 percent. But then if you just look at the overall accuracy, right, you're throwing up, like I said, it's a ball that's within the frame, you know, of the receiver. You know, Teddy's at 14th. Joe Burrow's at sixth. Drew Brees, number one in those buckets. Russell Wilson, number two in those buckets. Philip Rivers, number three. So um, Bridgewater isn't. I, I agree with what you were saying, like the kind of style. I totally see that stylistically. You know, his game isn't quite on the level as far as accuracy goes right now as Burrow. Um, but again, you got it's a new offense. Uh, they're still trying to figure things out. I'm I'm mostly just encouraged, yeah. you know, by what I'm seeing. I, I think when you look at a data set like this where you're only four weeks in, it's kind of like, okay, it's nice, but it's not it's not like something I'm gonna 
you know, say, Hey, let's die on this hill and say, no, Teddy Bridgewater. And it's not, it's not like he's at the bottom. He's not no. Car- Carson Wentz is at the bottom of this, but Carson Wentz is at the bottom. I need to look at Carson Wentz apparently because he's at the bottom of everything that I've pulled up so far since we've been talking, he's been ranked last. So, um, I'm excited about Bridgewater. Yeah, and I'm excited. If you can go buy DJ Moore, if you're a fantasy player, I know if you listen to me anyway and any other pod, I've been saying this for two weeks. I haven't changed my stance. The guy's still out there. It's not like he's working 20 yards down the field. He's working intermediate. He's still going to get plenty of catches. It just hasn't worked out that way yet. But I think he's still going to – I think he's still got a shot, Matt, at being in the top 12 receivers. I mean, we're talking about a, about a guy that, you know, as a rookie – was in the top 36, which is really hard to do in a PPR format. And then last year was in the top fifth was number 15. And that was with missing a game, yeah. you know, and only his second year with a quarterback that is not as good as the one he's playing with now. And I would also argue an offensive scheme. Um, I don't want to say it was, I mean, what Norv Turner and Scott Turner did was actually, it, it was not as bad as what some people, you know, thought they actually were doing some really nice things. But as far as for the receivers, I think this scheme is better. That scheme was great for like Christian McCaffrey. I think this scheme is better for like DJ Moore. Yeah. And I think to, to some of your points about why DJ Moore could grow into this offense in terms of production for fantasy purposes is that you also have to understand that teams are slow to react in terms of how they scout talent. Um, so yep. in in season scouting, they tend to look at last year's film. They tend to look at maybe a, a week or two behind. Some usually they're three to four weeks behind. So right now they're still covering DJ Moore like he's the primary guy. They're going to start paying more attention to Robbie Anderson, which is going to allow DJ Moore to get open a little bit more. Um, probably beginning in the next one this to week. three weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this week they get to play the Falcons, so you don't have to worry. There's yeah, no one covering yeah. them. And 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 then the other point about. Um, Teddy Bridgewater and his accuracy. One thing that accuracy isn't measured very well sometimes when it comes to what's pinpoint and what's just catchable accuracy is when a quarterback's making a creative decision. And what I mean by that is there's a play, there's a couple of plays I show in in this video that show exactly what I mean. One is a throw to Curtis Samuel where he runs an outbreaking route underneath a, a stem of an outside receiver, and Bridgewater sees it and knows that the trailing defender has a chance of cutting this off. So the only place he can place it is high and away from the receiver. And he does this because he knows there's no safety over top. So what it's forcing is for Curtis Samuel to make a high point play where he has to kind of turn at his break and high point the ball. Now, if you're tracking that, most trackers aren't going to track that as pinpoint. But if you're looking strategically about where this ball has to go, that's pinpoint pass, you know? And and I've seen multiple plays like that where there's one where to, to DJ Moore, where he goes deep to DJ Moore and deep for him is like, I call it vertical really, which because it's really more like 27 to 40 yards, somewhere in that range. It's under 40 yards, um, but it's still a deep throw. And um, there's a play there where the safety isn't over top so instead of throwing it to the sideline to pin more, he throws it further inside and makes more run back inside to catch it because he knows more has the speed to beat the defender, but gives him an opportunity to adjust more to the inside. Those are plays that you might not call pinpoint, depending on how you, who your trackers are and how they track it. Um, but if you're going to look strategically upon that, you'd say that's exactly where the ball needed to be placed. That may not always be considered um, by a team. 
Speaking of a guy who gets got a lot of like, oh, he's washed up, Drew Brees. And you just mentioned his recent production. Um, and, you know, again, I did a video on him a couple weeks ago saying he's just fine. Because when you look at the game, what you realize is that lots of defenses were dropping seven to nine defenders, <laughs> you know, basically 15 to 20 to 30 yards downfield and saying, beat us with Alvin Kamara. And he's like, okay, sure, I'll do that, you know? Or when they did give him the ball, you know, and his it's not like his completion percentage was bad. It wasn't like he dropped from 70 to 75% of his pass to like Josh Allen pre-2020 to like, you know, 50%. You know, he was still completing 60 to 65% of his throws. Um, but he had some plays that went bad because either A, Players like Jared Cook ran the round, wrong break on a route or Deontay Harris ran a, a zone route and didn't know that he was supposed to settle into a certain point instead of continue running. He had drops from guys like Harris and Cook and Hill. Um, they weren't utilizing Emmanuel Sanders a ton on, on a lot of routes, either where he had man-to-man matchups or whether it was certain zone routes. They were letting Traquan Smith benefit from Emmanuel Sanders from a schematic standpoint where... Um, Sanders would run the stem inside. Smith would come from the outside, undercut the stem, and get a little rub to get wide open over the middle of the field. So when you see Traquan Smith running wide open in the middle of the field, and people are like, "He's he's the guy you need to be going after because he's 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 running better routes and he's getting wide open." No, it's getting manufactured for him. He's playing well, and yeah, you still want to look at him and you still want to consider him because he's playing well. But it wasn't because he's running better routes than Emmanuel Sanders. And this past week against Detroit, and again, it's Detroit. They're one of the teams that, you know, they're not all that great defensively against the pass. But still, you saw repeatedly Emmanuel Sanders being able to make plays in the open zone. And he and Breeze had quite a rapport in terms of where to settle, how to set those seams up. And then they even featured them one-on-one on a nice little fade where you saw the rapport there too. Um, and Breeze also completed a fair number of passes over 20 yards last week um, that while, again, if you're going to judge him based on his arm strength, then you were never going to have him play in the NFL in the first place. Um, so the fact that if his arm's getting a little weaker, I'm sure it might be. That's fine. But his accuracy hasn't changed all that much. It's still better than most quarterbacks. Um, and he still has enough arm to be able to go downfield. He just has chosen not to based on the scheme, based on the talent that he's had. And oh yeah, Mike Thomas will be coming back at some point. Um, and that should help this offense too. Yeah, I think you hit all the main points I would want to hit, you know, on Breeze, you know, um, it is interesting, you know, that if you look just at, you know, week four um, alone, and it's interesting, like how these things go, right? It's a really big topic. And and then all of a sudden, the player does it, and nobody wants to talk about it anymore. No. Nobody's talking about how Drew Breeze pushed the ball down the field this last week. He had a 20 yard throw to Alvin Kamara, he had a 20 yard throw to Deontay Harris, he had a 20 yard throw to Emmanuel Sanders, he had a 20 a plus 20 yard throw to Traquan Smith. So four targets, just last week alone uh, in that 20 plus, you know, bucket. But I think the big thing that you hit on that I'm excited about, obviously Mike Thomas coming back is going to be huge, but just like Traquan is getting looks manufactured. And I don't mean this to sound bad. I love Mike Thomas, but he gets them manufactured for him too, (laughs) because that's whose role Traquan is playing. But Emmanuel Sanders 
what I see there is is kind of back to some of your preseason stuff. It's just, you know, Breeze really hasn't had, you know, a true number two like this that can run a full route tree that can really create on their own. Doesn't everything doesn't have to be schemed up with Emmanuel Sanders. And so if you look at Sanders, um, he had his highest number of routes run per drop back this week at 89%. He was targeted 36% of the time. So some of those plays where Breeze wasn't quite sure early in the season when I was going back and watching the film and I saw him kind of double clutch it. And it was actually looking at Emmanuel Sanders, at least as far as I could, sometimes it's hard to say because you can see he's looking to that half of the field, but you can't always tell if that's the player he's exactly looking at. But based on the route and the timing of it, I was kind of putting the information together and saying, yep, he was really wanting to go to Sanders right there, but he didn't just either. He just didn't quite trust him or maybe Sanders just at the last second ran the route, not quite the way he wanted, whatever the case was, those things seem to be um, getting remedied. You know, if we look at it just over the last couple of weeks, you know, Sanders just continues to climb. He's gone from eight targets or 8% of the targets to 15% of the targets to 36% of the targets. And he's hanging around right in that 87 to 89%. Um, as far as, you know, his routes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Breeze, you know, I mean, whenever Mike Thomas comes back, because it, they were still getting Traquan onto the field a lot then. Um, but at, that may have been more because it was early, you know, in the season and Sanders was still learning, you know. So I, to me, I, my gut says, and, the, and based on what I see in the data, and I have watched them quite a bit because everybody was bitching about Breeze's arm. So I, I had to go watch it for myself. Um, I, I feel like it's got to be Mike Thomas, Sanders, Cook, Kamara. I mean, yeah. I, that's your four cogs, you know, and I think um, Drew Brees is going to have a really good second half of this season is what I think. Yeah. Um, I think people are going to be, you know, if he's a guy that's sitting in the smaller leagues out on wires, which I, I, I'm sure he is, um, you know, he's a guy that you just definitely, you know, you want to own him if you can. Um, you know, unless you're just absolutely set at quarterback yeah. already. Listen, Emmanuel Sanders is Gordon Ramsay. Traquan Smith is like a good chef at Applebee's. Okay, I mean, it's like he's going to be the Applebee's you. guy. Isn't the Applebee's guy the guy with the the blonde hair, the spiky? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Anyway, Tyler yeah, or whatever you know, or something, I, don't know. I don't know, or uh, wherever. Any one of those box got bad chain, hair. One of those box chain places with bad hair. Exactly, places where I waited tables back in the day. But like, yeah, you know, yeah. So, you know, it'll feed you. It'll even be good. Get a couple drinks and you, you might be really happy. But like, yeah, when it comes time to picking chefs, you're going to pick Gordon. So let's let's end this on a, on a positive note about a player who got made fun of an awful lot when he first got drafted. And that was Josh Allen. Um, Josh Allen, a lot of people are saying, is having an MVP caliber season. And when you, I've watched pretty much every game and, Listen, Josh Allen is more accurate. Josh Allen is making big plays. Josh Allen is making some wild throws. Um, Josh Allen is also still Josh Allen, if you ask me. Like, he hasn't, like, you know, and I'll talk touch about that a little bit more too. Um, but one of the things I'd like to ask, Dwayne, is in addition to, like, what you've, you're seeing from the data, if the data's showing anything about him versus man versus zone. Because the thing about him, the thing that I've noticed is that, you know, this Buffalo Bills offense is run the ball, play action pass, 
use crossing routes to get man beaters. Crossers are great man beaters. And the great thing about crossing routes is that you have multiple windows of opportunity to hit your receiver. Meaning that basically for a lot of routes, like if you're running like a comeback route or an out route, you have one window. <laughs> That's basically it and, until your receiver has to adjust his route. When you're running a crossing route, you have usually three windows of opportunity to hit that receiver before they run out of space or you're on the turf, you know? Um, so it, it, the crossing route to me seems to be one of the easier routes in the route tree to be able to create completions as long as you have time and it can buy time. And it's also a route where again, because it's called a man beater, that means you can pair slower receivers against faster cornerbacks and get separation. So then when you have guys like John Brown and Stefan Diggs, who are by no means slow running crossing routes along with, you know, Cole Beasley or Gabriel Davis, who are guys who are a little bit on the slower side um, compared to those two, those guys are going to be wide open on a lot of these routes and maybe wide open right late. And that allows them to be able to square the target. It makes the targets easier to, to, to deliver. So while I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that Josh Allen is bad, but I am going to say that before we start saying, I apologize that, you know, for Josh Allen, you know, you know, being pessimistic about Josh Allen, I'm going to say Josh Allen has found an offense that's matched with him well. He's improved. But I'm waiting for teams to blitz him or be able to get pressure with four to six defenders while they play zone coverages and see how Josh Allen performs against zone because I have a sneaking position, um, sneaking suspicion that he's played a lot more man than zone thus far and that he's had a lot of success in that. But we need to wait and see how he does against the Pittsburgh Steelers of the world or the teams that like can mix things up in a way that creates some confusion while getting pressure because one to three times a game, I still think that Josh Allen short circuits and makes the worst possible decisions you can see. And he's gotten away with it. In the Rams game, he nearly gave that game away. Um, you know, in, you know, last week, he only had one of those plays, but it was a doozy of a, of a play where he's basically running around and carrying the ball like it was like, I don't know, it was something out of a, you know, he was having to hold on to like some dirty diapers or something. You, you know, I mean, like he was, it was, it was pretty bad. And I keep thinking, when he faces these better teams, he might have to pay. Uh, and he may pay hard. And it may be one of those things that everyone's excited about him. And he's and and he can help them make the playoffs. But it's these things he's got to get rid of to be that MVP caliber player that people are wanting to foist on him as he's a candidate for that right now. It's enough to say he's a candidate. I'm okay with that. But I, when I watch the tape, I still have unanswered questions and the unanswered questions are the highest standards of questions where people are really quick to just praise him for the low bar. And, and that's my point is that like, it's a low bar. The fact that he's hurdled the low bar when the fact that he was under the low bar for a couple of years is a positive. That's good. Some of the throws he made last week, 
some sick looking throws. Fantastic. But uh but Dwayne, I want to know. I mean, am I am I on to something here or am I just being salty? Uh, man, I'm adding I'm adding it up. Okay. Right now. But no, so here's a couple of things that you know I'll I'll start with. Um let's let's start with, you know, the the offense that he gets to play in. Um Dable should probably be offensive coordinator of the year right yes. now, if you really want to make any statement. Um, no team, um, and you kind of hit on this, uh, except for there's one one team using play action more, and that's the Rams, and which is really helping Jared Goff, right? Another yep. another player. Um, Buffalo at 39%. Um, they're also not putting him in, and, and part of this is him, right? He's not ending up in these third and seven plus or fourth and seven plus yards to go situations. Um, you know, he's only, he's the, the third lowest rate of those wow. in the NFL. So they're doing a good job of keeping him out of situations where it's like, okay, the other team absolutely knows a pass is coming. They've done a good job of keeping him in situations where, run or pass is pretty much always an option and the opposing defense has to always respect that. The other thing they're doing, they use more uh, shifts. So they're doing things before the play. Um, and they also are using almost, I don't want to say, I'll have to go back and look again, but it was the second or third most trick play looks. That's just basically giving the defense an oddity where it's like a, a fullback lined up, you know, in the slot, uh, just something to where they're like, what, okay, what, why is right. why are they lined up like this? Forcing and they them have to, to communicate. Start. Yeah. Yes. They are doing those things. I would say combined. Like if I could make this into a metric, which maybe would be something kind of cool, right? You know, for coordinators, like who is doing the most to really pre-snap try to help, you know, their quarterbacks. And I mean, he's at the top. Like he's doing everything. And so that's credit to him. It's credit to Josh Allen, you know, as well, to be able to – he understands it all. He's running that offense. So he's obviously integrated into what's going on, you know, on the field. But uh, Brian DeBowell is – I mean, what he's doing is amazing. Now, talking about man coverage, um, he's got 590 yards and five passing touchdowns um, against, you know, everything that I would qualify – you know, as, as man coverage. So this, this, there'll be yards missing if people at home are, are trying to go add this up. And it's because some things fall into red zone or goal line. I'm not including, you know, prevent type stuff um, or, or just wild, crazy scheme stuff, but that stuff adds up to a smaller percent. So when I say, man, I'm talking uh, cover two man, cover zero, cover one, um, I'm talking about cover one double. So, you know, you're just, you know, Stefan Diggs occasionally will get a, will get a double. So that's, that's pretty much man coverage. That's 590 yards, five touchdown passes. He's at a 68% completion rate, nine big time throws and only two turnover worthy plays. Um, when you switch over to zone, which I would, I have qualified based on PFF data as, you know, um, how they set it up it's cover two, cover three quarters, cover six, three seam, and then bracket coverage. And so I know somebody's going to say, oh, well, you already said cover two. No, there's cover two man, and then there's cover two. So those are two two separate things. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at him in the zone situation, um, he is actually thrown for um, 705 yards, mm. zero touchdowns, mm. one interception, only mm. two big-time throws, 
two turnover worthy uh, plays. Um, he's taken five sacks versus zone. Um, I would have to go back and look at man. So there's definitely a drop off in his production um, from a standpoint. Now I can flip this over and also look at accuracy, you know, and other things um, based on what you want to look at. But there's definitely a, at a minimum, there's a drop off, you know, in his production. Five touchdowns versus the man coverage and zero touchdown versus the zone coverages that I I called out. Obviously, there's touchdowns missing. That's because you've got the red zone or you've got the goal line and some of the stuff down close, you know, to the to the end zone that really goes into a different bucket because of the way defenses have to play and the way the offense structures things. They have a different offense for those things too. So really, we're, what we're looking at makes sense. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the way I look at it is I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm yeah. excited about it. And and when I watch it, you know, it, it looks good, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, you've watched it, you know, more than me. Um, and so for you to say some of those things, cause I, we didn't plan this. I just pulled this stuff up on the fly. I mean, yeah. what I'm seeing here, he's got 12 touch. He's got four, 1,339 yards, second most in the league, 12 touchdowns. And, one interception, you know, on the season. So quite a few of those touchdowns are coming, you know, closer down inside, you know, closer to the goal line that aren't getting, you know, classified here. But there definitely seems to be a difference between when he's facing zone and when he's facing man coverage. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. I and mean, that's the thing that we need to see proof of, I think, before we anoint it. And I'm kind of one of those people. I'm, a, you know, whether you call it stubborn or intractable or just kind of like, I stay true to my process, you know, and I've been the victim of all three um, or beneficiary of all three, depending on how you want to, you want to label me. But I believe that from a, from a process standpoint, it's a little too early to go nuts about Josh Allen. It's early. It's good enough to look at him and say, you know what? He's a worthwhile fantasy quarterback. Obviously he's improved, obviously good for him. Um, but I would say to you, if you have Josh Allen on your fantasy team, you have a good second quarterback who might have been your first quarterback drafted, and you could pick up Teddy Bridgewater, but you don't have other players, trading Josh Allen might get you a premium, and you can hold on to Teddy Bridgewater and still get decent production for yourself, um, depending on the schedule. Now, what I need to look at probably on that schedule is who are the teams that play a lot of zone in the Bills' schedule moving forward? They haven't played the Patriots yet, um, which is interesting. And they play them twice, you know. So I think that's going to be a fascinating look, um, you, you know. Yeah, he gets, they get Tennessee, uh, assuming that game gets played. Right. Um, with the COVID stuff going on. Uh, you get Kansas City. You get the Jets. You get New England. Um, I can look at it real quick if you can – yeah. You fill airspace I, and I'll look up how yeah. often these teams are running sure. man versus versus zone. I, I just have to flip yeah. over to a different Please. Uh, view. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, because if he plays a lot of zone or if he plays zone late in the season, that's the time where everyone's going to be excited about having Josh Allen after they look at all those stats and feel really good about that. So you can sell him on the premise that he's going to be good for that part of the season to that team that's like, I need to. I can make a playoff run, and this guy's going to seal it for me. And you, meanwhile, have like a good backup and a guy like Bridgewater. You can take a, a speculative ad to, um, who has a really nice schedule. Um, 
and you might be able to get more out of it to help your team, especially if you're a losing team that's, you know, one and four, you know, one and three or oh and four and heading into the season. You have talent, but things just haven't worked out for you, but still has a chance to because you're scoring good points, but there's something missing on your in your starting lineup and you could, you know, spread out that talent base and point values on your you know in your starting lineup by basically getting rid of some of your surplus talent uh, that's sitting on your depth chart yeah so if, if you look at you know his schedule and so like if we look at uh against tennessee he's gonna get to see a lot of a lot of man they run cover three 18 they run cover two 20 percent but they're in, they're in a cover one you know man 35 percent of the time uh five percent cover zero which you know nobody's going to be high on that unless right. they just are nuts uh then you get your cover two man uh they've got and most teams just don't use cover two man that's the old tampa two yeah. it just doesn't uh get used as much anymore only two and a half percent um and then so it's pretty even for tennessee who's up next so i mean they could try to throw him you know, a curveball. I would guess they would at least attempt it. Um, then you get Kansas City um, the week after. The Chiefs don't run very much cover three. You know, that's I, I go to cover three first because that's the the most used zone. Um, but if you look at the Chiefs, they don't use really a ton of zone either. It looks like they are going to be pretty split, but they use quite a bit of man um, okay. as well. The week after that, so he's saved so far. You get the Jets. I, do we even look at the Jets? Do the Jets count? Right. <laughs> do we just assume me? Uh, <laughs> they have nobody on their team anymore. Um, but they're mostly, you know, they're running quite a bit of uh, man as well. Well, they're actually running quite a bit. They're actually they're a decent amount of zone. So I mean, they 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 could they could try. Um, who's the next after that? Buffalo. Then you get. Uh, New England, which they just do whatever they need to do to yeah. win a game, uh, but they mostly run man. Um, you know that's what they've been doing for the last two to three years. Um, that's why they put such a value yeah. on these you know corners that they go after. But, but then after that, you, you you get yeah. Seattle and Arizona. So see, I mean, we're kind of getting further down the schedule. Seattle's pretty much all zone. The problem yeah. is they don't have anybody in their secondary. So, I, I you know. I mean, he could keep this up. I mean, he's he going to get quite a few man looks, and then the zone teams he's going to play don't really have a lot of talent back there. Wow. I think the Patriots, if we're looking for a true indicator, just dropping fantasy, right, and looking for how does he really look at a team that, gives, from an NFL perspective, on a team that gives him some curveballs, I think Tennessee and New England are going to be your two best chances to see that. That makes sense, and that's good. So then that gives you an idea that what we'll conclude here is that He's probably going to be a safe play for the rest of the year. Um, but if you want to see the curveballs that just show you the glimpses of the future to see, you know, where everyone was proclaiming Carson Wentz, the next great quarterback, and we were still kind of like, uh, hold on a little bit here. And now we're looking at, you know, can injuries are a big part of what's going on with the Eagles too. So, but Wentz Yeah, still... he does, as, as the playoffs start to get closer, he does get back-to-back the 49ers and the Steelers, who both play a ton of zone. And those and are they, the, and if they're healthy, they have the personnel to really, you know, kind of pull a doozy on you. And those, and that's where I'm talking, and that makes sense for what my strategy then still applies is that if you if you have the the firepower at quarterback, you might want to sell him at a premium because you and that would be terrible timing. That's week thirteen and fourteen. That's basically your fantasy 
you know, playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So if you can do that and 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 do that, you might be able to benefit from it. So of course, yeah. But just it, get a lot for him. You can a get a lot. lot for him. Yes. So, so go get a lot. Treat him like he's basically a, he's a he's a top three quarterback asset in fantasy because he is right yes. now. Yeah. Don't let anybody. Um, and even when he plays you. bad, he can still. Yeah. And yeah. even when he plays bad, he can still give you. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that last year didn't look good from an NFL perspective at all, but still gave you good fantasy games because of his his ground game. Um, so just make sure you get a lot for him. That's yes, exactly. And that's a that's an absolutely perfect point. And this was a great show. I mean, we were chock full of like goodness with this particular <laughs> one. Um, and so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, obviously, you can find Dwayne at Dwayne McFarland on Twitter. You can find him at Fighting Chance Fantasy. You can find him at Establish the Run and of course at Pro Football Focus. He does fantasy football hustle. Fantasy football hustle. That's right. Fantasy football hustle. That was my that's my Josh Allen moment of the day. So, <laughs> okay, we, it, we we've been a few weeks. That's right, it has been a few weeks, and I still need I may need my medicine. So there we go. But um, <laughs> but um, I'm gonna go practice. I think, and um, I appreciate y'all, and I hope that um, you know, again, you can rate and review this podcast. You can find me at Matt Waldman RSP, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. If you're curious about it now because you've been seeing, you know some good stuff head down your way um, that has been the result of that. Um, you know, you can check it out at mattwaldman.com. You can check out the rest of my work as well as what Mark Schofield puts out at mattwaldmanrsp.com. And of course, I'm at Football Guys where you can find me on Thursdays at the Audible and you can find my columns, the top 10 on Monday afternoons or evenings. You can find the Gut Check on Wednesdays. I edit the and moderate the roundtable um, at fan, at Football Guys on Thursdays, and I write the replacements on Fridays, um, and I sleep sometime in between all of that. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and we will talk with you soon.